You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech, where mixed reality is not the same thing as mixing up reality, and where we geek out with some of the most forward-thinking innovators of the music business. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music tech PR firm, and I'm the event director for the Music Tectonics Conference, which is coming up October 27th through 28th online. And uh, it's a funny story because our return guest today is somebody that I met through last year's conference. This is Zach Zallen. He's the CEO of Super Hi-Fi, a company dedicated to the creation of artificial intelligence tools to help digital music services and radio deliver amazing listening experiences. Zach was the president of Virgin Digital for over six years. He was the co-founder and managing director of a digital agency that built stuff for Sony, AOL, and Yahoo, among others. And now, Zach, you're two years in with your startup, Super Hi-Fi. How's it going today? It's going really good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. And yeah, like I said, we met through the Music Tectonics Conference last year, and then we got to do some work together this year, and now you're coming back as one of our Supernova sponsors, which is very flattering uh, as a follow-on to last year, so excited about that. And Zach, we had you on the podcast in March before the viral shit hit the fan, <laughs> and I guess I, I just want to start off, what, what have you been seeing, seeing like uh, changing for you in, in your world at Super Hi-Fi since that time? Yeah, so everything's changed in a lot of different ways, as it has for everybody. You know, the last uh, the last thing that I did before the lockdown was I took a trip to Las Vegas, um, and that's where we actually did the podcast. And out of my hotel room, I was, uh, oh, that's I was right. there when I talked to you. I came back to LA the following morning, and basically have been locked down since. So, so yeah, this hopefully this podcast is a bookend the other direction. Yes. Where things actually start getting better now. <laughs> Oh man, um, I hope so. It's been a it's been a wild seven eight months. It's um, you know obviously everything operationally changed for us dramatically, and where we gave up our offices almost immediately and turned into a complete remote company, as so many others did. Uh, you know we've had to kind of struggle with figuring out how to keep a corporate culture in that kind of an experience and an environment, and and have been really working hard to do so. And I feel like the business is in the midst of a radical transformation some of which has really been precipitated by the pandemic mm -hmm. or at least where things were going to go has been really sped up by the pandemic. That's so what I, I'm that saying. As well. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, like there's these things that were kind of on the precipice of happening or maybe they were plateaued for a while and you're like, okay, when is it going to go over the other end of the, the, the side there? And then all of a sudden with, uh, with what's been going on with, with lockdown, some, some of it's people focusing on work, some of it's, people working remotely and collaboratively and some of it is how do you get your your entertainment and engagement in this lockdown world and digital music and digital entertainment seems to be doing great yeah well for i think for obvious reasons right when you're stuck inside and you don't have that much else to do digital entertainment is is the ultimate experience because of the opportunity for personalization and the broad array of content choices and all this other stuff that goes along with it and you know, if you remember at first, what we really saw was an explosion of video uh, consumption, right? So right. Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and Apple TV, and they were just off the charts. Right. And I think that that slowed down over over some period of time. People realized like, okay, I only have so much free time at night to watch a video. I can't really sit around and do that all day. I still have to work. 
Right. And one of one of the great things about music is that it's something that you can consume while you're doing something else. Hmm. And so I think that music seemed to rise pretty steadily after that. That you know, people really got into video for a while and then that kind of dropped off and started to level off a little bit and then music really started to rise. And what we're seeing now is a pretty dramatic transformation of the digital and broadcast radio experiences, honestly, that are, I think, going to be permanent. Hmm, yeah. And, you know, I think another piece of it could also be that people binge watched everything they wanted to binge watch, and it's been a lot harder to create new video content with lockdowns and remote work. And so maybe there's a little bit of tabling off there, but you're right. Even, even in that scenario, music's still getting created because um, you can do a lot more remotely. I think you can't shoot, you can't shoot video remotely. You can collaborate remotely musically speaking. So. Yeah. You know what? That's a really good point. Yeah. So, okay. So, so I imagine it's a combination of a people just got bored of watching video 24 hours a day and B, like they had, like they had to said, go back to work too. <laughs> yeah. But, but like you said, there was less to watch because you already binge watched all the good stuff and it's not like there's yeah. a lot of production happening. So yeah, it's some combination of that. Yeah. And, you know, music, one of the other great things about music is, is it's evergreen, right? You're not going to sit and, and rewatch Game of Thrones over and over and over and over and over again, but you might listen to an album many, many, many times. And so music has that quality where, you know, it doesn't really burn out just because you listen to it once. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it'll be interesting to circle back to this question about whether the, the pandemic and the lockdowns have pushed this aspect further. But something we talked about last time was how the first phase of music streaming, like bigger picture, was riddled with struggles around getting music licensed. The DSPs were competing on building catalog. Then they were competing on exclusive content. And at the same time, they were competing on user experience. So there was this kind of a war between non-interactive, lean back experiences, kind of like the original Pandora and versus the interactive jukebox experiences like the original Spotify. And then eventually all the DSPs basically adopted both types of user experiences. One leans one way or the other, but they all have whatever you want, you can get it, whether it's the jukebox or or kind of the lean back radio style. So, and, and there are still some differences between say the Spotify playlist approach versus the Apple Beats One approach. But with all the licensing and lean back, lean-in wars kind of quieting down with the licensing battles now switching over to, say, social video and video streaming and live streaming services. I'd be just curious to get your take, you know, in that big picture. What's next for DSPs? It's It's got to be differentiation. And that that is irrespective of the pandemic. It's had to be differentiation for a while because there's so much sameness in the services that if you close your eyes when you're listening to any one of them, all you hear is the artist that's playing. There's no representation of the service that you're actually buying. And without any kind of connectivity to a particular service, without any loyalty to a particular brand, what stops any consumer from jumping from one to the next if the price gets cheaper or if it's bundled in the way that Apple looks like they're going to start doing or any number of other features like all the Ultra HD stuff that Amazon Music is starting to put forward? There has to be something else, some other level of differentiation. And, and that is a story that we've been telling for a long time. Mm-hmm. What I ha- and, and, and it's not like I've gotten that much pushback from the services as I've met with them through the years. You know, originally when we met with them, like really early on in our, in our, stor- in our story, when we would sit and meet with these guys, they'd be like, well, why would we want to do that? But that didn't actually last very long. I think that 
you know, more creative minds have prevailed at most of the digital music services. And they, they're, they're starting to realize like, okay, I have to do something that's unique. And if, as you see, you know, Spotify making investments in, in their podcast platform and in certain personalities like Michelle Obama or Joe Rogan, you realize like, okay, they're getting that. They have to stand out with unique content that is distinctively their own and that you could tell at Spotify, even if you close your eyes when you're listening to it. Other services are starting to realize that and, and, and f- try and figure out how to be competitive. So that story we've been telling has started resonating a while ago, but it's really picked up steam since the pandemic. Hmm. I'm not exactly sure why. I can't pinpoint anything specifically. There is more music listening that's happening, but it doesn't feel like it's any more a competitive environment now than it was six months ago. But there is a much more rabid outreach from the services and discussions that we've had with pretty much everybody in the space recently about what their long-term strategic initiatives are. And they're just bolder than they were six months ago. And they want to move faster than they were moving six months ago. And so that that almost certainly that's what's next for the services is differentiation, original content, creating distinctive listening experiences that are uniquely their own relative to anybody else in the marketplace. Um, and uh, that, that's definitely what's next. When it happens, though, is being sped up by the pandemic for whatever reason. You know, I wonder if the reason is because they're noticing this change in consumer behavior across the board and this re-engagement on digital as a result of not having alternatives. And they're saying this is a moment of grabbing market share. And if we don't differentiate, we're going to lose some potential audience. Maybe, maybe it is. Uh, um, you know, it also could be, I read recently, Daniel Eck had done a quarterly report for Spotify and he was talking about radio's global $18 billion ad revenue being being there for the taking by the the music services that fight for it the hardest. Hmm. And, you know, it could be that there's been a real massive change in broadcast radio over the past six months, which is not surprising, right? Nobody's driving in their car. So many of the people who are advertisers are not really in business right now. They're not doing a great business. So advertising on the radio is not nearly as compelling an opportunity as it once might have been. We can tell that from the number of calls that we're getting from broadcast radio companies. Inbound hmm. calls were, you know, 50% revenue declines without any kind of cost declines is a real problem. And it's putting hmm. the broadcast radio folks into a position where they're having to start to think about reinventing the paradigm of radio. And so they're, they're calling us because we're a part of that message. But the same thing that's kind of driving them to start figuring out how to operate in this new world might look like a huge opportunity to the digital services who want to take those listeners and permanently capture them. And perhaps that's something else that's driving it. Yeah, I always like talking to you because you're able to weave together this digital versus terrestrial radio conversation, this music integration with spoken word, news content, podcast, and so forth with uh, content creation and advertising. Um, when you weave all that stuff together all at once, you get a kind of an, an interesting top level view of this shift. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about that as well, because I'm sure you're right that there's that maybe that's the land grab is on who's going to own audio advertising. Cause nobody besides digital radio ever, I mean, sorry, terrestrial radio, since terrestrial radio has kind of, kind of owned that space for decades. Right. And it's, it hasn't fully transferred over to the DSPs or even the internet radio stuff. Right. No, and it it may not in a way. I mean, I, we don't really know that yet. The jury is certainly right. out on on how that's going to manifest. But 
you know, because the broadcast radio people are really good at selling advertising. They understand that model. It's in their blood. Mm -hmm. And they may have a really, they may have a really interesting position where they can kind of dominate the translation of ad supported music listening experiences from the airwaves to the online space. If they're bold enough at their own transformation initiatives, I I don't know if they're going to be or not, but they certainly have an opportunity to be. Yeah. Well, and the question is also, will advertising work differently the same way when Google ads and social media ads started replacing just banner ads and print ads and so forth, where you get a much more customized delivery, whereas terrestrial radio is more um, used to the broadcast style advertising. When you switch to digital devices, um, you can have a much more personalized ad experience. And that to me seems like the spot where there could be a lot of growth and, and differentiation where it's so customized, not only, obviously not only with the ads, also with the news and podcast and other short form spoken word that fits in with music, um, that could be very threatening to a traditional radio advertising model. It it certainly could. I, I will say like you, you were talking about kind of weaving all these things together. They are all woven together, right? But we look at some yeah. of them as like levers, mm-hmm. right? Like you could pull down on the, le- on the lever of advertising, you could have more ads, but you're probably going to get less listening because you're going to have less satisfaction. And so the, the lever that moves up is the, is the uh, consumer satisfaction side. So you have to balance all these things. But one, one thing that we think about on the ad side is, is that, if, I don't know if you remember, but kind of like early on in the display ad world, like there were all kinds of interesting ad banners that started to pop up. Yeah. It all started out with that old 468 by 60 banner. And then it moved to a side banner and there was a square banner and there were just all these different audio, there were all these different ad units. And then Google totally reinvented it by making the ad unit really just a link. It had no display whatsoever. And that was a really cool thing to watch as, as traditional online advertising really evolved. Yeah. In the audio advertising space, there ain't none of that. Man, there's a 30 second audio ad. There's just been right. no innovation whatsoever. And on air, you can innovate a little bit with things like sponsorships. You can, you know, have short-term sponsorships and, you know, reads and, and other stuff that are a little differentiated, but mostly it's, it's the same. In the streaming space, there's zero innovation. And that does seem to be a huge opportunity to, to use advertising as content that, to your point, is more personalized but it's also just more contextually relevant that it hits you because it knows who you are, where you are, when it's hitting you, it's connected back to the listening experience that you're having. So it doesn't seem so totally out of context. It could be a lot shorter. So it's punchier. You could play more of them without annoying consumers. There's like (laughs) a huge wonderland of opportunity for audio advertising that. Yeah. I think, I think could be a threat to, to terrestrial broadcasters if, if the digital services figure it out, but they just aren't yet. Yeah. I mean, smart speakers with an interactive ad too, where there's a call to action that you can take right there with your speaker right then or get more info or order or whatever. That That's kind of a crazy kind of audio ad that, that I feel like I've heard somebody was testing. I can't remember who it was, um, but I don't know where that's gone. I, it, it reminds me of the craziness of when Amazon started sending those little remote buttons that you could press to reorder detergent. Like if there, there's an audio version of that, Woo, that's kind of uh, that's a that, that that'll be a huge um, a huge boon to to that whoever figures out the advertising on that. 
It, it will. So then I'm actually going to modify the, the question that you asked. You said, what's kind All of right. the future of these listening experiences? And I very much believe that differentiation has to be key to it, right? You have to have better listening experiences. But I think you can layer in there more innovation around the audio ads that are helping to pay for some of these things mm. that enhance the experience and offer open up more monetization opportunities at the same time. So it's some combination of that differentiation and audio ad innovation. And, and, you know, you weave those together in a nice enough way. And I think you could really have, you, you can have some, some pretty amazing experiences in the not too distant future. You know, it's interesting as you talk about this, Zach, I was thinking, you know, there's this in the music industry, there's kind of some tension between advertising based music experiences and subscription based because advertising pays so much less to rights holders um, and, and creators. But uh, <laughs> you're almost painting a picture where advertising could really grow in, in revenue if, if, if it's creative enough and it enhances the experience. Maybe you tap into a much larger audience as a result, but maybe also there's more revenue being driven by ad conversions as a result. Well, this is this is back to Daniel Leck again. I mean, the guy knows the business better than probably anybody in the space. And he's saying there's $18 billion of annual revenue there for the taking. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's not such a bad thing to increase your potential revenue by almost $20 billion. And that's just conversion of, of ad dollars from one place to another. Then there's the potential to grow it from there. So yeah, man, this is a huge opportunity if you get that right. But the reality is, is that you have to have a real strategy for how the advertising experience is going to weave in with the rest of the experience that you're delivering to your listeners or else, you know, or else that's just not going to work. That conversion of dollars is just not going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know what? We can get into that more at the Music Tectonics Conference because you're going to be on a panel with representatives from Sonos and Pandora, really about product, the future of um, listening experiences, but of course, advertising plays into. So that'll be fun. And, and since you have a long history in music tech, building some of the earliest music streaming services yourself, going back to the Yahoo and AOL and Virgin Digital days, I'd love to get your take on some of the themes we're exploring at uh, Music Tectonics this year. Um, I, can I just dive in with some? <laughs> go, go for it, man. Yeah. So move, move, kind of changing, changing channels here. How, how's the explosion of social video, the TikToks and trillers of the world impacting music listening, discovering experiences? Uh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody knows. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, you know, look, watching my kids, I have younger kids at home, which is a great thing to kind of look over their shoulders and watch how they're experiencing it. Right. TikTok isn't for me. Right? It wasn't built for me and I'm not, I'm just not going to connect to it, but uh, they are completely hooked. And so I watch their, their experiences and they love it and they don't tire of it and they can watch that stuff for hours. It's like ADD radio, right? It's just designed for seven second shots of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Does that materialize in any long-term listening behavior changes? That's the, that's the question I'm asking myself as I'm watching them. I'm like, you know, when they're, you know, 18 or 20 years old, when they're driving in a car, are they going to sit there and listen to seven second snippets going one at a time? Or are they going to revert to the mean, right? Which is the kind of listen to an album, listen to a radio station-like experience, something more like what I do. Right. I, 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 don't, I don't know the answer. I want to say that my instinct is, is that they'll listen to long form music programming. 
But, you know, that just could could be because I'm set in my ways and narrow-minded when it comes to the potential for the world to change that much. I don't know. You know, I think, and we will have representatives from TikTok and Triller at the conference, and hopefully these conversations will will emerge. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the TikTok uh, rep we've got is going to be on part of a con- conversation about the democratization of music discovery and co-creation with video creators. And um, we've got the CEO of Triller, Mike Liu, who's going to be there and kind of just talk through the case study of Triller's emergence. And, and he's, you know, early to license music and, and can talk about some of, some of that stuff as well. Um, I, I mean, I just can't imagine anyone has the, has the, um, I don't want to say maybe attention span is not the right word to only listen to seven seconds of music. But I think that to me, it seems like what you have is this, like I said, kind of co-creation of these video meets memes that music becomes a soundtrack to. But the music is, you know, that's just the launching point for the music. You, you can't really engage with the music until you somehow listen to it elsewhere. Yeah. You know, here's, here's something else that I noticed, and I'm not sure if this is really that that interesting, but to me, it seemed kind of cool. You know, we've been looking at these like AI music creation tools for years, not because we're interested in doing any of them, just kind of, you know, scientifically and creatively, it's been neat to, to watch algorithms attempt to create music from scratch that might be interesting to consumers. Nobody's done a good job of it really yet. Nobody's really created something that has the potential to, to build, you know, chart topping, hit content yet right yeah but what i did see was a couple of months ago there was some blurb i don't know where i saw it some blog post of some sort where where one of the companies that does ai music kind of put in the uh criteria set for what the perfect song would be for tiktok and you know they just analyzed a bunch of tiktok usage and they analyzed the characteristics of the songs that were most popular for being used behind the tiktok videos and it, it kind of spit out this, you know, 10 second little theme with some bells going ding dong in the top. And, <laughs> and they were basically like, this seems to be the perfect theme for TikTok. And I kind of laughed on them like, you know, all right, so now it's these AI guys that are trying the, the AI composition for a shorter form thing. But what's weird is that within a week or two, I watched my kids and there were a number of videos that were actually using it. And I was like, it just kind of struck me as like, this might be the place where if it democratizes music composition and consumption to the degree that it could, it would be the first opportunity for AI composition tools to really start making a difference because an AI tool can actually build little seven second blurbs that are perfect for a particular moment based on the data that is informing the criteria that it gets. And that's kind of crazy because that could change a lot of stuff, man, really quickly. It's not going to change who writes the chart-topping hit country radio. That's uh, for radio. That's not going to change. But all the music on TikTok could theoretically become AI-driven and just as popular as any seven-second blurb from anybody else. So it's just something interesting to watch that if the little short-form music pieces really do start taking off, it is going to potentially really transform the way those songs are composed in the first place. And I wonder how long it is before humans are not involved in any way, shape or form. You know, it's, it's funny, Zach, because it kind of brings us full circle at the last conference. You were part of the AI's got talent, 
um, talent show. <laughs> we we kind of called it at Music Tectonics in LA. Um, and you did this amazing presentation about kind of the way that you guys work with AI to, to do this seamless integration from one track to another track of music um, in terms of knowing where the exact right segue is. And it's different for different songs and different combinations and the dynamic range and so forth, all that stuff. But also on that panel was Alex Mitchell from Boomi. And he's got one of those IA music composition services and also... Um, uh, Taishi was on there as well with another with another one. So Amadeus Code and and so at that moment we did some podcasts with with some of those guys and I was picturing that AI music composition would kind of be like the emoji of music that it would be used like when you make a post you can have your own little soundtrack with it and I don't think I had realized what was going on with social video to this extent so much but what you're describing now it's it's really like AI is a great tool for that sort of emotional soundtrack to go with it but it is it is kind of removed from it's a little bit removed from the human cultural piece so like you know fleetwood mac is is blowing up on tiktok right now with with tattooed skateboarders and just like you know this emotional kind of reaction that some some of its nostalgia and some of it's just that human emotion piece in it um and and maybe there's maybe there's a role for both i mean i i don't know i I love right we what we do to your point we do AI presentation, right? So our artificial intelligence selects content based on the moment, based on how it's going to sound, and then stitches that content in perfectly weaving it like a DJ would at a radio station, right? So theoretically, from a bunch of discrete assets, our AI can create something that's virtually indistinguishable from you know, incredibly high-quality broadcast radio, except it's all happening on the fly, personalized, high-quality, et cetera. What those guys were doing is AI compositional software. And... That's really cool science. And I've, I've always been really fascinated by it. I've just had a hard time understanding how that's going to be a great business because how do you create, you know, four minute songs, enough of them that become chart topping hits that it starts really mattering. But the seven second thing could really change that. And for the first time I look at it, I'm like, I don't know, maybe there, maybe there's a real business there in creating you know, millions of these files that are very personalized for each person that's using it as a soundtrack for their own post and that right. they're catchy enough that people would actually like watching them. Yeah. And then to, 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 to go, go into sort of the remix culture of our experience, then you probably will have some human creators take those memeified seven second AI melodies and turn them into full on songs, you know, and, and expand on them. So there's this it'll, other look, d- it'll, dynamism. It'll that can certainly happen. happen, right? It'll certainly yeah. happen. It's, it's interesting to watch, but all that circling back to your original question, I don't know what the future yeah. is going to be or if these seven second things really have a long-term influence or not i suspect they will have some influence just because i'm watching my kids grow up with them oh yeah and that's going to dictate some behavioral outcome i just don't i can't imagine what it's going to be yeah cool let's try on another little conference topic we've got um uh, so we've got a panel that's going to take a deep dive into fitness and music um it seems like every day we see a new fitness app or smart fitness equipment and on our last podcast together zach you talked about the important role of music for creating the peloton experience and now there are smart mirrors smart punching bags rowing machines, lifting machines, and they all have music as a part of them, not to mention just actual phone apps that have music or iPad, uh, tablet apps. What's going on here with music and fitness, and, and where do you think it'll go in the coming years? Um, I mean, I guess I have a couple of different perspectives on it. So, so you know, when people work out at the gym, there's always music cranking. Music is the ultimate True. soundtrack for driving great fitness experiences. 
The thing that Peloton did really differently, and they're they're a great customer of ours, and we've actually learned a lot from them about the relationship between fitness and music, because we power all the AI transitions in the studio for them. Anything that you you know, any of the rides that you use has super hi-fi somewhere buried inside of it. But they made some really strategic choices about becoming a music service, very, very, very clear music service that was attached to a bike in a very organic and natural way. Because they understood early on that music was fundamental, just like they, they understood that having the best instructors was fundamental and having the best bike itself was fundamental and kind of innovating at all aspects, but connecting the dots really, really tightly. So... Yeah, music is is incredibly important to the overall experience. What we have seen with most of the fitness things that have come out, and I have to admit, I have not played with a lot of them, right? I've seen the mirror, I've seen tonal. Um, I haven't played with a lot of the direct Peloton um, competitors because we're just pretty wedded to Peloton as a brand. We really like those guys. It, but it seems to me like none of them have really learned the full lesson, which is that it's not just the bike and it's not just the instructor or it's not just the mirror and it's not just the 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 you know the interface it it's got to all really marry up nicely and and the one thing that peloton still has that it doesn't seem like anybody has is a real music experience behind the scenes they bought a music services provider so they own it outright they cleaned up the catalog and they did their own licenses so that they they have the direct relationship they're not going really through any third parties they built a proprietary piece of software that connects all the dots in the studio on the bike and the treadmills themselves and for the fitness instructors to actually program the music. They do as much work on figuring out the right cadence of content for people to listen to as, you know, as Spotify does for any of their mixes. And nobody else seems to be doing that. And I think that until somebody else starts to figure that piece out, it's going to be really hard to compete with the experience that Peloton provides. Well, it's interesting to see it kind of translating into these other devices and experiences besides just bikes. I mean, both Peloton's doing other stuff, treadmills and stuff, but also other companies. I mean, there are literally a couple of smart punching bag companies on the market now. <laughs> Look, connected fitness was growing crazy anyway. Yes, exactly. The pandemic will alter that business forever. That is a business yeah. now that the transformation is massive and it can't turn back, right? There are a number of these, number of these businesses that you could look at, right? For food delivery mm -hmm. sources and the way restaurants are right. going to work. There's hundreds, advertising itself, hundreds of industries that are going to be affected in this way. But digital fitness, fitness in general at home is a massive one. And so it's not surprising to see the rise of connected fitness and innovation around that landscape. But but just to tie it back to the to, to the point of music is, the one, the fitness experiences that do the best job of connecting music to the experiences are going to be the best fitness experiences because music mm -hmm. rocks for that. You know, dead silence in the background sucks and bad <laughs> music experiences suck. You just can't have a playlist of crap. Yeah. If you look at what Peloton has done with like, you know, uh, with artist centric rides and exclusive content and the way that they treat the music as a really essential part of the overall experience you kind of understand like that's why these guys are in the leadership position that they're in. Yeah. So this is interesting because we talked about uh, digital music, digital entertainment, even some Netflix stuff. Um, and now fitness as sort of like they were already fitness and music. They were already kind of on the rise and growing regardless of the pandemic. 
There are two areas that we're going to talk about at the conference that seemed like stepchildren of music until the pandemic hit. So they weren't already necessarily in a strong position, in my opinion. And now there's actually getting past these kind of barriers. The two that I'm thinking of are live streaming performances and mixed reality. So let's take live streaming. Music fans were just, they just were not as excited about watching a concert on the internet as going to one or having a purely produced listening experience. They prefer, you know, just listening to great audio. What's your take on the explosion into live streaming and do you think it's going to last? Um, all right. So I'll just share, you know, a long time ago in another life, I ran a nightclub in Los Angeles called the Troubadour for a few years. Oh, and I didn't know that. When I when I left the Troubadour, I started my own digital agency, and and I started a second company with a bunch of friends called LA Live. Um, LA Live was kind of grew quickly. It was a webcasting company. We put ISDN lines in almost every major venue on the East and West Coast, mostly West Coast, but some some on the East Coast. Oh. And we had live uh, video and hosted um, webcasts of artists playing. And back then which was kind of the mid to late nineties, the record labels would pay you for that. It was a promotion and marketing expense. And so it was actually a profitable company. Did hundreds of these webcasts, some of which were really big. I think, you know, some of them actually ended up being on TV. Most of them were, you know, postage stamp size, dial up modem crap (laughs) that didn't sound so good. We were really heavily invested in it. It was a passion project for us. We had a lot of fun and, uh, and it was very popular for, for that period of time. But you know, the thing that I never really got was like, you can't really experience what it's like to be in a venue without being in a venue. And it's always been my maybe somewhat old fashioned view of things that, um, that you can't, that it's like part of, you know, 90% of it is being there in a way. And so as that business kind of faded for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which being that, you know, the record labels started to realize they can get paid for it, which we just didn't feel like doing. Um, that, you know, my perspective on it was maybe a little bit, not, not pessimistic, but it's just, I never really understood where it was going to grow into. So now it is exploding and it's awesome. And it's giving people a lot of opportunity to have out, you know, live like experiences in their living room without actually having to leave. And it's, bitching. But your question is, is it sustainable? I don't think so. Primarily because I think that once the pandemic is over and it will be over, whether it burns itself out over time or there's herd immunity or we all get needles in our arms and, um, and we're immune. I think that the likelihood of people wanting to stay indoors is going to be really low. And I think going out to see live concerts with lots of other people is going to feel incredibly freeing. And I think we are going to see an explosion of in-venue live performances after the pandemic ends. And I think the the byproduct of that is people aren't necessarily going to want to stay at home and watch it on their screens. Well, I would push back on this with you. I think you're right about the early days, if and when we get to a place where we feel safe. And the, th- the reason I would push back is because one of the seismic shift trading cards we made last year when we handed out those trading cards at the conference was there's no single formula for success. And so no, I, I get my- that, dude. I, it's, <laughs> listen, this is a viewpoint and I'm as likely yeah, yeah, to be yeah. wrong. I'm as likely <laughs> to be wrong as I am to be right. I just have a very yeah. specific perspective on it. And as I shared, I caveated that this could just be an old fashioned view. But yeah. <laughs> here's what I'm going to add because you asked the question. Yeah. Mixed yeah, yeah. reality. 
Oh yeah, that's next. Yes. Okay. That different story because Mm. the problem with watching a live, live music experience on your screen, whether it's your TV or your laptop or something like that is it's, it is a one dimensional aspect of the live experience. Right. It doesn't have any of the feel. It just has the Mm -hmm. look and sound. The thing about mixed reality and more specifically, I think actually virtual reality, which is growing leaps and bounds in terms of capabilities is that it can synthesize the feel of being there wherever there is. And I do think there might be a much better opportunity to feel like you're in a room with lots of people to get the kind of more awe-inspiring power of a live experience when you feel like you're there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the view of it is very different inside a VR headset than it is on a flat kind of two-dimensional screen. And so I think there may be something there Mm-hmm. that's really interesting and and very powerful. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think sort of what I was getting at when I was just mostly playfully pushing back on the live streaming side is there will be new experiences that are created, new, new forms, new art forms or new engagement forms created, just like we were talking about social video and our kids watching these seven-second music clip videos. Um, there's new forms that make sense in a new way for a new audience. And that's where I'm thinking live streaming uh, could could succeed maybe for a certain size artist or certain genres or certain um, type of producer that doesn't necessarily recreate a live show on a stage as easily as at home in their studio or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. But you're right, then there's this overlap between virtual reality and live stream concerts that creates a new thing and you know one of the folks that's going to be coming to speak is one of the co-founders of beat saber which is kicking ass yeah, um, it's awesome. and and uh and also tribe xr which is a vr dj community where it's not just about performance but it's kind of like community building as djs where you can watch each other dj <laughs> so so there's um i don't know if you're familiar with what oculus has been doing you know facebook bought them a number of years ago and they've been really on yeah. the leading edge of all kinds of cool technologies. And they have a new version called the Oculus Quest 2 that's hitting in right. like two weeks. And the Oculus Quest 2 has like better battery life. It's totally cordless. It's, uh, you know, four times the processing power and about 50% more pixels, which means that it, it reduces something that they call the screen door effect. So it looks more realistic when you have the goggles on your headset. It's also something like 30% lighter, maybe. I don't know. But the 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 feel of kind of synthesized presence is getting so good that I can envision a scenario where people are putting on live concerts where you have avatars of other people that are around you with an ability to talk back and forth with them. That starts to approximate the, the, the feeling of actually being in a live venue. There's something really awesome there. And I'm interested, I don't know what's actually out there from a software standpoint. I don't know if any of these virtual venue folks that are putting these live streams together are thinking about how to translate that into a more immersive experience like VR. But the reality is once you experience something in VR, like like Beat Saber, you can't experience it the same way outside of VR. And so I think there's a whole huge business and experience opportunity that that happens for VR at some point in the future that just doesn't really work on a flat screen. It will be fun to see this panel at Music Tectonics. And in addition, um, we're actually bringing in a, it's not VR, but it's a VR, like a virtual world for our opening closing party, Zach. I haven't told you about this yet, but we have an avatar-based experience for our conference goers where you don't have, you don't have to have a headset, but in the platform, you 
change your clothes, pick your hairstyle, your skin color, and you walk around this virtual world and we're going to do a networking party, basically a reception where I'll, I'll be able to see your avatar, hopefully recognize you and your name will be above it. And then you can hear audios kind of spatially as you walk through. So we're in addition to talking about mixed reality, um, we are also going to try to create this virtual experience as part of the networking and the actual experience of coming to Music Tectonics. So that, that should be fun to experience it as well. So oh, go ahead. Very cool, man. Very cool. Yeah. So let's circle back to your, your core area, listening experiences. Last time we talked, Spotify had made their big podcast acquisitions. Since they got some, uh, since then, you talked about this on this episode, uh, getting the exclusive podcast shows. Do you think their acquisitions have been successful? And where do you see this DSP move into podcasting going next? Now, now that we've gotten to this place, what's next? Yeah, I, I think. I think Spotify's done a really great job. They they have not yet figured out how to weave the the podcast content in with music listening experiences in a really fluid way. Right? And our view of the world is that you have to present content really well, not just select the right content in the first place. Those are two independent challenges, but they both have to get met. Um but yeah, man, I mean, look, they've been making really big bets and I think some of those bets are uh, are going to be complicated to work through. Like, you know, the, there's some big rumor now that all, all kinds of people inside of Spotify are pissed off because they can't edit Joe Rogan and they feel like Joe Rogan's, you know, values are different than theirs in some ways. That's going to be something they're going to have to work through, try and kind of figure out how to present alternative viewpoints that may not necessarily reflect what the company stands for, but that are still interesting and entertaining enough to drive more listeners and more revenue. Um, I think they've been doing a really good job. And the, the the interesting thing is they don't have to get a lot of these bets right. They can get a lot of their bets wrong because of their continued growth and their dominance in the, in the streaming music space. Hmm. They just have to get a few of those bets right. And then they'll learn which ones, which, which are the right bets and they'll just start getting better over time. So even if they get 5% of their podcast bets right, that's okay because the next year they'll get 10% and the following year 20%. And they'll just get better and better the way that, say, Netflix has. Or Netflix had so much shit on their system for so long. But if you notice now, it's much more scientific. Their bets mm. are bigger, but better. Mm. And um, and I have a feeling Spotify's, you know, heading towards there. And, and uh, you know, at the same time, you see kind of Apple making all kinds of changes to their platform and starting to bundle in pricing. You see Amazon racing towards quality with their Ultra HD stuff. You know there there are some really good uh, there are some really good platform improvements that I think we've seen over the past six to eight months, and I think it just bodes really well for the long run for streaming music services. It's funny what you say about the Rogan po podcast because if you think about like a YouTube or a Facebook and the kind of <laughs> controversy they've had about what content user generated uh, uploads cr creates versus something like Spotify, which is closer to a Netflix, having to deal with that. Uh, you know, if you can't handle the one, <laughs> imagine if you have to handle hundreds of thousands, millions of people uploading content that you have no control and filter. And we, as a society, we really haven't figured out how to how to manage that stuff. But you know, no, we're gonna have to wrap the, up. Oh, go the, ahead. The just to add to that, the the what you're seeing from Spotify are teething pains, right? Whereas companies like SiriusXM have done this extraordinarily well because they understand that space, right? They can have a Howard Stern and a Martha Stewart and an Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and and balance it because they understand what audio entertainment's about. Spotify is just mm. trying to figure that out right now. 
So it's a, it's very fundamentally a different problem than something like a Facebook, which is dealing with the algorithms of the masses. These are more like programming and content choices. But I, I would not be surprised to see the next few months them getting over that hump and starting to figure out how to do a more efficient and effective job. Got it. Yeah. Okay. We we have time for two quick questions and answers. Um, All right. And and I, I want to circle back because people can come and hear you speak at the conference. Um, as a supernova, you're going to do a lightning talk, which is kind of a TED style talk. You're also going to be on the panel we talked about with Sonos and Pandora. And awesome. um, yeah, and and you guys also have a chance. You've got an exhibit booth and sponsored workshop. So there's going to be a lot of chance for people to hear from you guys. But real quick, as we wrap up the podcast, what's the next phase of differentiation for DSPs and music listening? It's It's got to be that they find their own particular brand. And by brand, I don't mean like, you know, what what their logo is. I mean, what does it feel like when you're listening to their product? And I think each one of these these companies is going to ultimately do that. Obviously we would like to be a part of all of that because that's what Hmm. we do. We use our artificial intelligence to help them power the listening experience that's best representative of what they want it to feel like. But they're going to have to do that. They're each going to need their own Sonic logo. They're each going to need their own approach to artist interviews, podcast snippets, news, organizing music and other content in a different way from everybody else so that a consumer can choose their service based on what they like best. And I think that's, that's the path that everybody's on right now. We're going to see that manifesting itself very interestingly over the next 12 months. Well, I love it. You have such a clear vision about where you think things need to go and how you guys can help so people can come to the conference and hear you flesh that, that out in various I forms. Hope, I hope they do, man. Yeah. And so what are you most excited about at Music Tectonics this year? And then, and then we'll wrap it up. You know, honestly, it is that panel that you, that you mentioned, right? The future of, of listening experiences because it is so close to what we're focusing on every day. And I'm interested in having a more of a roundtable discussion with people rather than just bloviating about how our perspective is, what our perspective is. I really want to hear from from other other folks out in the in the landscape, those that are on the panel with us, and those that are out, you know, in the ecosystem listening, because that's mm-hmm. that's I'm really intrigued by what other people are thinking about as well. That's cool. Can I ask you? You were an exhibitor last year when we were in person. Did you yeah. did you fi- did you find that the, um, the 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 types of folks that show up to this event were useful for you? Oh, it was great because I think you guys are the only conference that are explicitly focused on music technology. I just I I don't know that with certainty, but I I think that's the case, and that's like you know we're we're a co- we're an experience company, right? Our long term goal is to build deeper relationships between our customers and their listeners, but we are music technology. And so it's a lot of fun to talk to people that are interested in it and to also just hang out with a bunch of other companies that are focused on the same space. Cause from my perspective, this is an awesome time to be investing in music tech. I love looking at the other music tech that's out there. And my belief genuinely is that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so to the extent that we can all help each other, we're just helping the whole industry along as well. And that's really great place to have done it, man. So the answer is yeah. It was it was great. I'm looking forward to this year. I wish we could be in person, dude. I wish we could be sharing a drink instead of just looking at each other over a over a Zoom or whatever it is. But <laughs> you know, we'll get back there soon enough. Yeah, yeah, Zach. This is great, man. I had so much fun talking to you today. It's always fun to geek out with you, and really excited to have you so engaged and involved with the music tectonics uh, community. And and looking forward to seeing you uh, in just a couple weeks. Thanks so much, Dimitri. It's always a pleasure hanging out and talking with you.
Yeah, great talking with you too. And thank you for listening to the podcast. And by the way, we are not using Zoom. We are using a platform that not only will bring you some great innovative thinkers and movers and shakers like Zach, who you just heard from, but it also will allow you to do a one-to-one video chat with anybody at the conference. There's a chat section on your on the URL. And as you uh, see somebody, a name you recognize or a friend or whatever, you can initiate a chat with them or you can go into the networking room where we will chat roulette style um, randomly match you with somebody else in the room three minutes on the timer when time's up you get matched with the next person you can choose whether you continue the conversation or you're like well that was a waste but it's going to be super efficient so just as we talked about how different forms live streaming mixed reality are leading to new ways of of doing experiencing music and so forth we're trying to use some new ways to lean into the efficiencies of what we can do online so I hope you join us sign up for our newsletter at musictectonics.com hit subscribe on your favorite podcast service make sure to look out we're going to be doing a contest to give away some badges as well so go to musictectonics.com and sign up for the newsletter and find out more there thanks so much for listening you're listening to music tectonics